I want you to go to the book of Romans, and I want to uh, talk today about the love of God and leaving law and coming into the finished work of Jesus Christ. I've titled this, Is Your House Haunted?, Um, because I'm wanting to kind of pull from this thought that many times, if you've ever been through a haunted house, let me just ask, any of you have ever been through a haunted house? Anybody? Yeah. So you kind of go in and, and, and your mind knows what's going on, right? I mean, you, you, know, you know the general layout of, of a haunted house. You know the structure. You know what's going to happen going in. And uh, you know there's going to be things jump out. You know there's going to be some surprises and mysteries and but you do it anyway, and you go in, sometimes reluctantly, sometimes you're, you go in really hugging the person in front of you, whether you know them or not, and you make your way through this maze, and a few things happen to your mind. You say, I really want out of here, or what's happening next, what's around this corner, and, and, and even if, if, if you get into, um, in, into this spiritual thing with, where some people believe, okay, my house is really haunted, the bottom line thought there is there is something in here that I want out, okay? I, I don't want this experience to continue happening. And I kind of want to pull those emotions from those two experiences of, of all, all of the, the mysteries and the expectations, and I want all of this out, and I want to plug that into how you and I look at ourselves spiritually. And maybe you're here this morning and it's been a while since you've really looked at yourself spiritually. Okay, So you're kind of cruising through life and it's so fast and you're, you're thinking so much about how to just survive life and how to get your kids out the door and, and on and how to get to work on time and, and, and accomplish things and maintain your house and all the things that a, a, adulting involves. And it's been a while since you've just kind of taken a breath and looked at where you are spiritually. And so I want to do that this morning. And I really believe that this word, not anything that I'm going to say, but this word that Paul is going to give us in, in Romans is, is absolutely life-changing. If you will grab a hold of what I'm going to talk about this morning, it can truly change your life. This is not... Uh, just inspirational, and some messages are. It's, it's not motivational, and some me- messages are. This is a doctrinal truth that if you get it, it, it can really transform you. Let me start with this. It is impossible to solve a problem when you don't know what's wrong to begin with. Like you just kind of sense it, like something isn't right. And maybe sometimes you feel this way physically, you feel this way emotionally about some things, but let me give, let me give you some Im- imagery to kind of what I'm talking about. When I was a teenager, I would occasionally have engine trouble with my car. I, I drove an, an, old, an old Mustang car, and it would break down occasionally, more frequently than I wanted. And I would do what most teenagers like me did. I would pull it over or coast it over, depending on what happened, pop the hood, put both my hands on the engine bay, Look intently at the motor. I would tap a few things, wiggle wires, unscrew things, look in, see if there was fluid in I don't know. And then I would call my dad and say, hey, I need you to come fix this car. Because I didn't know what I, I was doing. But I knew something was wrong. 
And I think we sometimes spend many years of our lives sitting on the side of our journey, spiritually with a hood popped, and with great intentionality. I mean, we're trying, we're looking, we're jiggling wires and making sure the right thing's in the right spot. But it won't work. And we're confused by that. And we know that there's something, there's a problem, but we really don't know what's wrong to begin with. And so... Maybe a lot of us, I'm going to throw myself in this, we spent a lot of years with a hood raise. We've looked at our heart and our thoughts and our ideas, and if, if you're introspective, you do this on a daily basis. And you've done it all trying to solve you. And you've spent money trying to solve you. And your spouse, she has sent you to talk to someone to try and solve you. And you've taken vacations to try and solve you. And you've sent your kids away for the weekend trying to solve you. And you've watched Dr. Oz and you've watched Dr. Phil trying to solve you. And even after all that, you've still had outcomes that, that, that you don't want. Okay? No, I'm not trying to be ugly this morning. I'm trying to be very truthful with our, our, our church. And so outcomes that we don't want. I mean, we're, we're trying to solve us. We got the hood popped. We're looking. We're looking intently. But we may have lost a marriage trying to solve us. We may have lost a job trying to solve us. You may have lost a lot of time and a lot of sleep and a lot of confidence trying to solve you. And you can't put your finger on it. It's like something that you can't get rid of. You know it's there, but it's hard to label it. You may even know a general area that's there, but so let me, let me start with this. The problem may be that you don't know what the problem may be. So it's, it's just cloudy. And it, this is what makes our spiritual man that has to have have intentionality and why we need the work of, of, of the Holy Spirit because we can look at a lot of physical things and really nail it. I mean, some of you are well organized and your finances are in order and your relationships are, 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 are vetted. And I mean, you, you've just got things going on that, that are very well done. But when it comes to our spiritual man, sometimes it's just kind of cloudy in there. And so we come to church, we come to a service like this, and we struggle to really engage. Uh, some people say, oh, I felt the presence of God. While somebody over here says, I didn't feel anything. And somebody over here says, oh, man, it just, this place feels like home. And somebody over here says, this place feels like I'm just a stranger. Same place, same service, same people, two different experiences. So what I'm going to do today is give you an idea of what this cloudiness is, and I'm going to use the Apostle Paul to do that, and hopefully we can separate the clouds and clearly see the sun. Now, if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, you're probably going to disagree with Paul's diagnosis, and that's okay. You don't have to agree with him. But maybe since you've been trying what is not working, you'll be open to a new idea this morning about what is. So I want to go to Romans chapter 7. If you've gone through the book of Romans, you're already ahead of me a little bit as to the conversation Paul is giving. Let me give you just a, 
60 seconds of, 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 of background here. Paul, very educated. Rome is his home. He's got a lot of passion for this area. He, he was very, very well respected by this group of people. He even used them to get out, out of trouble before. He said, listen, I don't know if you've heard of the Roman people, but if you mess with me, they're coming for you. And they, they let him go. Okay, so he's very well respected with this group. He loves them. He's got a lot of passion, and he is about to set something really straight with them. And I think it, it just plunges forward and meets us here this morning. And so Romans chapter 7, let's begin in verse 15 and 16. This is so good. No matter where you are this morning, no matter what age you're at, no matter if you're single or you're married or you want to be married or you don't want to be, be married, it, it, this applies to every single person in here, okay? This is what he says in verse 15. I do not understand what I do. Can I get an amen? Okay. <laughs> For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, this is Paul, this is not Doc, Dr. Seuss, but it, just bear with me. <laughs> I agree that the law is good. Okay, let's read it one more time. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Green eggs and ham, Sam, I am. This law that Paul speaks of could be any law in your, in your life. This is not, he's not just talking about uh, pharisaical law or, or the law of that particular day, but this, this law is very, it's, it's a broad stroke. Anything that is governing your life. And it, it could be an idea about how the universe should be, a worldview, if you will. And we all have one. And so... Here's the one thing we all know. We don't even do what we in our own eyes think is the right thing to do. We all know that lying is not the right thing. But every single one of y'all, I'm not, I'm not including myself, all of us in this room have lied. About something. At some point in your life, you escaped disciplinary action with it. You kept your reputation intact. You exited an awkward moment. You did something. But, but we do it anyway. Even though we know this is exactly what Paul is talking about. I mean, if we did the right things, we, we would be stronger dads and better spouses and healthier people. But there's this part of you, watch, that, that does not what you should do. Okay? <laughs> Some of you educated people are really bothered right now. I mean, you're really just bothered. Enters Paul. And the reason that we should believe Paul is because he was good friends with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who hung out with Jesus. And Paul, after hanging out with people who hung out with Jesus, begins to take their experience of the crucifixion and through the Holy Spirit teases it out into applicable doctrine for our daily lives. And he's going to shed light on what the problem really is. So Romans chapter 7, again, we're going to go just a few verses down from where we started. Verse 18 and 19, this is what he says. 
For I have the desire to do what is good. How many of you want to do what is right? Okay, go ahead, just raise your hand. Half of you don't. We're going to pray over you in just a few minutes. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. I mean, he is just laying it out. That I want to do the right things, but I can't. I'm a terrible person. I just keep on doing the evil things that I don't want to do, but I, I just keep doing it. It's like I'm a spectator. It's like I'm just watching my life, just doing all these things. So here's my question. Why don't we just do what we're supposed to do? Imagine how church would look if all of us just did what we, we were supposed to do, right? We'd come to church, sing some great songs. I'd come out here and I'd go, great job, see you guys next Sunday. And that'd be it. If we all just did the things we were supposed to do, but... Seriously, do we need any more advice? Do we really need any more counsel? Why do we reteach and repreach the same biblical principles over and over again? Why do we read diet books and self-help books? Why are we so attracted to articles that boast of having a new idea on how to fix us? The truth is, we don't need anyone else to say, stop looking at that because it pollutes your mind. We don't need anybody else to say, hey, tanning beds and processed foods are a catalyst for cancer. We don't need anybody else to tell us that. We can train a dog to do what we want it to do, but we can't train ourselves to do what is right. Turn to somebody around you and say, what is wrong with you? Right now, just tell them, what is wrong with you? Now, if you start getting a long, drawn-out answer, just shut it down. Just redirect them. So here is the beginning of Paul's analysis. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He's getting into it, okay? I, I want you guys to do your best to plug in this whole time with me this morning. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. This is what he says. You see, at just the right time, when we, I love his wording here, were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. That's right. Paul said it. He doesn't even know us, and he's called it out. You are ungodly. He said, I don't even have to know you. I don't have to be best friends with you. I don't have to follow you on Instagram. I know you ain't right. You are ungodly. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 7 He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. I'm in verse 8. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now this is the second time he's used the were still in introduction. He says, You were still powerless, and now he says, you were still a sinner when Christ died for you. Now, if that's kind of going over your head and you're not really catching it, let let me really try to tie it down. What makes that statement so significant is because when this was written, there were people who had lived, who were alive, who had lived at the time of Christ's death. So this is still very, very new doctrine to them. And as Christians, our minds always play the crucifixion as this community event 
and everybody goes out and they're looking at Jesus and they're having this epiphany, oh, I need to be saved. This is truly how much he loves me. But it's not true. There were people one mile away sinning like crazy who had decided in their own mind that Christ was a lunatic. And to, to them, he was just another person being crucified. People all over the city were doing what people do. They were working, entertaining, and eating, and drinking. All the while, the greatest sacrifice for humanity was taking place while we were sinners. So while we were still sinning, he died for mankind. Now we know through divine lenses that Christ had this grand view of not just that community, but of the entire world. And all the people who had come before his birth, and all the people who would come after his death. He was saying this act of love is for every single person. This is why we do church. This is why we come together to honor Him and to worship Him and to keep the mission alive is because when we were still broken and a mess, He died for you. And some of you need to be encouraged by that this morning, that He loved you in spite of every story you could tell, whether you're proud of it or completely embarrassed by it. He died while you were sinning. So watch this, Romans 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, and death through sin, meaning death is always on the heels of, of, of sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So Paul's doing this great job of being inclusive. He's saying no matter what color you are, no matter what background you are, no matter how much money you make, no matter how you came to this meeting this morning, it doesn't matter. We are all on a level playing field. We're all broken. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We, we're all exposed to this death of sin. Everybody here, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, it doesn't matter. So sin was introduced to the world through one man, and that man was Adam. And as people were born of Adam, they're born into sin. Now here's where a lot of people get, get this messed up doctrinally. Is people want to get hung up on sinning as a verb rather than sin, the condition, as a noun. That you were born into it. It's why you're so good at it. This is exactly why Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do. Why? Because I'm born into sin. A condition. Nobody had to teach me how to sin. Nobody had to teach us how to lie and deceive and manipulate. Nobody taught us how to sit around and think how to get ahead of somebody. Nobody taught us how to get what we want. Because it's in us. Noun. Condition. Born with it. We've only simply explored that. We've gone with it. We've acted upon the condition in our lives. It's no, no different than, than being sleepy and going to sleep. I got a condition and I'm going to act upon it. 
This is why Paul is saying, listen, I'm doing things I don't even want to do, and so are you. We're ungodly. And it was in that that Christ died for us. And so you say, man, you know, sin contaminated Adam. Sin contaminated the entire human race. You're born into sin. And maybe you're here this, this morning and you're a step ahead of me and you're thinking, that's not fair. No, it's not fair. But fairness ended in the garden. It didn't make it long. Fairness was only, fair, was only there for a few people. And after that, it was broken for the rest of us. Fairness ended in the garden, and since then, nothing has been fair. I don't know if any of us, if we were really honest, would stand up this morning and go, you know what, I am the difference in in that equation. Life is really fair to me. I think all of us, if we digged enough, we looked enough, some of you got some obvious things, life is not fair. It's not fair that someone gets cancer at 40. It's not fair when children get sick. It's not fair when your child is the one person out of the 10,000 to get the rare disorder. It's not fair that we bury each other and we'll continue to bury each other. It's not fair at all. It's tragic. But fairness ended at sin. See, this thing is huge. It's it's a big old condition that we all have. And Christ died for it. Some of us, you know, you've been raised in church so long, the only thing you've ever done is stole a snicker bar. And you're like, oh man, you know, that's why he came right there. Stole that snicker bar. Thank you, Jesus. This thing is huge, it's a condition. Some of us have done some really sneaky, slippery, unbelievable things, and you've looked at yourself in the mirror and you've said, I cannot believe I did that. You've looked at your life and you said, I can't believe I had a season like that. I cannot believe this is the way I'm thinking right now. I would have never in a million years thought I'd find myself in this position. You do the things you don't want to do. Romans chapter 5, watch this. He's about to put a button on it. Romans chapter 5, he gets to it. Verse 15. But the gift is salvation. Watch this. Is not like the trespass, meaning the sin of, of, of Adam. He's saying, what God gave me is not like what Adam gave me. Can somebody say, thank God? For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more? How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? That'll change you right there if if you will open your heart to it. Verse 16, nor can the gift of God, watch this, be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift 
watch this, followed many trespasses. Okay, now when you dig around, I don't have time to get in this, but watch this. What, what he's saying here, when you do word study and you start to really look, look at what he's saying here, when he says, but the gift followed many trespasses, is like this huge line of sin. And God's gift comes up behind it and starts pushing its way through this line of trespass, eventually making his way to the front of the line, and he finishes it, and he brings justification. That eventually he gets to the front of all of of the sin and says, this is where it ends. Not another sin gets past me. I'm going to end it. I'm going to stop what's been happening. And while you are still broken and still sinning and still not on board and still not believing and still full of doubt, I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, if I had an organ player this morning, I'd be... (laughs) I need a B3 Hammond organ right now. So listen, this is no longer, watch, this is no longer about what you've done. You see the, the shift that he's saying? It's about what's been done for you, or should we say to you? He's saying what God has done for us, what Christ has brought to us, cannot even compare to what Adam did. That whatever got started in the garden has been so destroyed, you can't even put them side by side. So this is no longer about about what was true of you. It is about what is true of you because of Christ. Okay, now let me me get where I'm going. I got one punch to throw here at the end, and then I'm going to throw it. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. This is what he says. For if we... By the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness, here it is, if, if you get one thing, get this, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Everybody say reign in life. This is why this is so good to you, and it can change your life. Is because he's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about eternity. He's not talking about when this, when this body gets old and dies. He says, right now, you can reign in life. Big, big word there, reign. You can reign over those things that you do not want to do. That when we stand over our lives and the hood is popped and we don't know exactly what's going on, we don't have to know what's going on. Because we can reign in life because He's got it all figured out. He's done the work, not us. This is the gospel. How do I know? Because it's really good news. We know what life is like through Adam, 
but have you really experienced what life is like in Christ? Now hear me, because I just said something that may have slipped your mind. I didn't ask you what, what church is like. I didn't ask you if you've taken communion today. I ask you, do you know what life is like in Christ? Not what, what we've done religiously, not what we've built, where we sit, our style of church, our style of music, things we do, ways we give, ways we serve. No. I'm asking you, do you really know what it's like to be in Christ? So if your view, well, let me back up. Let me give you a big takeaway today. Adam did something wrong and it affected everyone and Jesus did something right and it has undone what Adam did. So if your view of Christianity is Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of my sins and now I'm going to do my best to serve you. Good luck. We have to really, really get that the only way we're going to finish this race is because of His strength in us, His power in us, this work of God. This is so past a sinner's prayer. This is reigning in life. It's not me just finding an altar. All of that is, is, is important. This is not just me being water baptized, and that's fantastic. It's necessary. This is about what do I do after that? What about now? What do I do? So, Kevin, are you going to end today by telling me to try harder? No, I'm actually going to tell you to rest. Because what matters the most is what he's already done, okay? I want you to bow your heads with me real, real quick. And I want to pray. I know that's an abrupt landing, but I'm out of time.